you're fired. Huh? I would like to inform you that you're fired. All right. Thank God. Wait, wait a minute. You may clean a mean toilet and keep a tidy dungeon, but you're fired. You're fired. Oh. All right, that's it. You're fired. You son of a bitch. You're fired. What? For you, you're fired. Wow! The universe is fucking. Wow. <laughs> what? Who's fired? Well, we've been leading up to it for quite some time. No, Lightning no. has been fired. Nobody's been fired. No. Not even you. I mean, some days it would you would like make me show to be a lot fired. better, but yeah. I don't know if hey, you're, wait! You're still here. I'm right here. I can you're hear you. Still here. Yeah. I'm still here. You are still here. Nobody got fired. I don't know why you uh, insist on uh, on pushing a false narrative, fake you, news that sure somebody that? was fired. Yeah, I'm okay. way sure about that. Then what is happening here with the Truck Show podcast? What's happening with you, my friend? Uh, I am uh, I'm moving on. I'm moving on. So I'll see you guys later. I'm out. What? Why, why are you looking at me like that? Because I happen to know... That the Truck Show Podcast is continuing under what new the, ownership. What will the name be? The Truck Show Podcast. That's right. Yes. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, we don't even have to start over. No, the Truck Show Podcast with Lightning and Holman still. Nothing mm-hmm. changes. And from what I understand, Nissan is still with us. Yep. Banks is still with us. Yep. And all of our friendlies are still with us. Yep. Uh, long story short, I am, uh, I'm leaving Motor Trend after uh, just about 20 years. And uh, I was able to uh, take ownership of the podcast. So uh, the podcast is in our sweaty uh, little mitts now. I've been super busy the last few weeks. If you follow me on uh, social, I've been uh, building up the pod shed in, uh, in my backyard. By the way, lots of great guesses from everybody out there, but uh, we will be able to do and continue the show as is in a, uh, in a new spot. And uh, is that bad to have three moves in five years? What are the three? Oh, you're talking about Our moving? studios, yeah. Actually, no. Oh, okay. I think that that's about where you want to be as on, a, on a trajectory. Right, every two years, so, you're you're growing. We right, outgrew where, the first space. We outgrew the second space. I don't think that's exactly what happened. This it's, is with my spin. For, for the first space, the building was sold. Mm-hmm. In the second space, I'm not here anymore. In the third space, we'll finally have full control over our. Space. I'd rather put the spin on it that we outgrew everything. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, so anyway, yeah. So I've uh, been building a uh, fairly sizable uh, podcast studio in uh, in the backyard. My wife uh, actually let me take up a portion of. Uh, of the backyard. Um, I had to horse trade with her, though, because there was a tree we had to take out that she hated. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what if the new podcast company pays to have that tree removed? And she's like, sold! I'm like, oh. So thank God your wife is awesome. Uh-huh. Can we disclose the name of the new company that owns the podcast? Uh, it will be uh, Truck Famous LLC. So we're actually right now uh, doing our last recording of, of the podcast from Motor Trend in El Segundo. And uh, we'll be uh, actually packing up the studio after we record. And the next time you hear our voices, it'll be from somewhere else. Probably not the new uh, pod shed because probably not operational until the end of January. So there'll be a few shows that will, uh, we're not going to stop doing them. Uh, everything will continue on still on during the week and all that. But we may have uh, some guest locations. Maybe we'll go record a show from like, uh, you know, Four Sons and HB or from Banks or 
or something like that, or from inside the uh, Nissan Titan XD that uh, they loaned me to help move the studio. We could that would be fun. Actually, doing doing an entire episode in a truck. Nissan uh, graciously. We have done that in a Nissan before. Yeah. Well, uh, we did. We didn't do the whole episode. At least half. What we should do is drive out to uh, to the desert and pick up Emmy and have her in the back seat, and we'll just do a uh, a rolling podcast. That would be an annoying show. It would be a super annoying show, but also really funny. <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, Nissan was gracious enough to uh, loan me a uh, 2022 Nissan Titan XD, and uh, it's what going, is that blue color? Because it's gorgeous. Uh, I think they call it deep pearl blue or something like that. Okay. Or, Didn't mean to put you on the spot. It's just it's a good looking truck. Yeah. I haven't been in an XD in a long time, and I was thinking they're sending me a regular Titan. And when the XD showed up, I'm like, "Damn, that's a big truck." It's a big I forgot. Truck. I forgot how big that truck. Well, is. when you're when you're in the parking lot and you see it, you're like, "Okay, it's with the other big trucks." Yeah. But then you pulled it into the Motor Trend, into the yeah. Photo Cove, into the bay, and all of a sudden, it takes up the whole bay. I remember how much I like uh, driving. It's man, it's so quiet. It's got the uh, 400 horsepower, 413 pound foot of torque, uh, uh, 5.6 liter endurance V8. And it, dude, it just, it's super quiet. I forgot how quiet that truck was. It just rides great. Until you roll the windows down and you're getting on the freeway and then it roars. If you get into it, sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it's got the uh, the platinum. This is a platinum reserve. So it's got the, uh, the zero gravity. CDs That's my baller truck. That's your baller you truck. You shouldn't be driving that. Nope, but it is four wheel drive. You should be in the Pro Four X. And I, well, that's what I figured. I figured they were going to send me a Pro Four X. They, they they screwed up. They meant to send that to me. No, no, no. They gave me the thing with the larger bed so that we could uh, haul this uh, studio out studio of here. Studio out of here. Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, store it on the side of people's houses and stuff for a couple of weeks. So the pod shed is uh, is going up, but we've got. I don't want to call. It, can we not no, call the pod no, shed? It's, though? it's being called. I the pod, don't want to call it the pod it's shed. The pod shed. So. To me, it's for me, after, the after this episode, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. By the way, our email's not uh, changing anyway. So what do you guys think? Podshed? Lightning doesn't like it. I, I'm going with Podshed. I don't like it because to me it does sound a little he, small. He thinks it cheapens the show. And I I, I have seen the responses and you guys have been overwhelmingly excited I don't for know. this project. I, I, look, I'm not saying that the project's not cool and, and the actual building isn't cool and the audio coming out of it won't be cool. I'm saying that perception is reality, and this show is actually big. I, I know that we're going to be- comes from a little pod shed in Huntington Beach, uh, California. It's, it's possible, and, and after this episode, now this one right now- everything pod You shed. will not. I'm going to go in. I have uh, admin rights, and I'm going to delete I will it. remove those and hashtag pod You can't. Shed. I'm going to lie and say that we're in a big office building in Manhattan in New York or okay. some BS you, like you that, can right? can do that. I want to make it feel big, because, uh-huh. dude, like sometimes we downplay how big this show actually is. Because we don't care. I'm saying- We're not egomaniacal, crazy people. No, I'm not. We do this for the love of the subject matter. Do you guys care? No, I'm I'm being dead. I I I mean, seriously, I don't think that it matters. I think as long as the content's good and they see the passion we have for the project and what we want to do and that we're delivering and we're entertaining and we're informative and we're us, they don't care if we do it inside a Nissan Titan. They don't care if we do it in my mom's basement. She doesn't have a basement, so there's no- don't worry. We're not going to be like other maybe, podcasters. Maybe, maybe not for existing listeners. You guys listen. You put up with us. I think you're overthinking this. I, I think I think you need to be like, damn, we got our own studio. Sweet. We're we're rocking. I, I'm doing it. I'm going along right. with the gag, but I'm just saying, I, I wonder if it matters. Like, do you are you attracted to people that are, I don't, I don't know. It's, we have our, our own space. We're, we're, we're not renting. So we're we the opposite own, of Hollywood, you know? We're in a freaking rad studio that was custom built for the show. Like, I don't know how much radder you want to get than that. That's pretty rad. And we're going to be launching uh, truckshowpodcast.com. And on that, we're going to be doing, uh, you can, you'll, be able to, you'll be able to see our recap articles. You'll be able to buy merch. 
and we hope to have affiliate links of people who come on the show. So you'll be able to click on anybody you hear on the show in the future if you want to, if you're interested in finding more or buying that product. So there's going to be a bunch of stuff. We're going to have a, a newsletter. There's lots of things planned, and we also uh, grab the YouTube channel, so there'll be some more video. I think as the year progresses, one of the changes we want to make is provide you guys with more video content, whether it's a walk around of a, of a project vehicle, which we are looking into uh, having one of those this year. And the other thing that we're interested in doing is some of the hard-hitting interviews or really interesting interviews. Uh, we want to record those in video so that you guys can watch those and, and have a video component to the show. Lots of ideas, lots of growth this year. We, we're we're going to be super ambitious. Anyway, buy merch, support us, support the show, uh, support our sponsors. Those are all the best ways that you can support so we can keep it free. The idea is it continues on as, as it always has, that you guys will I- enjoy it the way you always have. And we want to give you more. Uh, but it's going to take uh, uh, you know a little bit of time to ramp up, and we need your support. So, all right. Um, before we continue, I've got a couple things to give you. I'm going to pull a lightning, mm-hmm. and I'm going to pretend that I got this for you. Okay. And then you can open it. All right. Okay. This wait. It t- says to Jay Tillis at your address in Huntington Beach. Yeah, I just said send to me. All so right. I'm going to pretend that I got this for you. Okay. Okay. All right. I need your knife. Can I have your knife? There's my knife. That's not. You gotta get your, your corner of your totem ship uh, cut off, there, dude. Go. Man, All right. So this, consider uh... this your birthday present. Nope. It's on the side. Oh, got it. Oh, lever don't, action. Here we don't go. Don't scratch up your yeah, fingers and bleed all over the old studio. This is a green cup of some sort. Let me get it out of the bubble wrap here, guys. Scintillating podcasting right now. I'm sorry, guys. It's really well wrapped here. This is a Soundskins tumbler, a mug of some sort. Thank you to Soundskins for sending me a little holiday mug. Keep my uh, Dr. Pepper icy cold. And then uh, we got a, each got a box, a holiday gift from our friends over at Toyo. All right. This also uh, is definitely for me. Definitely for me. Oh, these are awesome. These are little enamel pins, like collectible pins of all the cars that were, all the cars and trucks that were at these, at the Toyo Tread Pass. Uh Dang. How cool are these? A lot of these guys we interviewed. We, yeah, that's right. Now we have, we need pins of our own trucks though. Dude, thank you to Toyo for uh, setting out this uh, pin pack. All right. And and one last thing, because it was, uh, it was both your birthday and then Christmas, because like my daughter, you are screwed with mm, your birthday. Yeah, I sure am. And uh, my budget was very tight this Dude, year. Dude, look at the pin of the little Maverick. It's awesome. Uh-huh. How cool is that? All, All right. right. So this this was, I'm sorry, this is gifting on a budget because yeah. uh, the my gift to you is a freaking podcast studio, which is costing me tens of thousands of dollars to uh, to do. So sure. uh, in, in lieu of anything good, I got you this. Oh, beer. Wait, hold on. Okay, hold on. What kind of beer is this? Oh. <gasps> Wildberry Vice Pink Guava Sour. This is yes. from Total Wines and More. It's okay. uh, six all sours. Oh, yes. I got Fru- one, oh, one of every sour one, I could find. One of there. my favorites, Modern Times, Fruitlands. Yep. yep. That's, I'm a local there. Wildberry Vice Huckleberry Lime. Can I have that now? Uh, you Seriously. said you were thirsty. They're sours from, uh, from around town. All right. Here we go. I'm going to try you, the you crushed raspberry Open sour. one up now because you're thirsty. Hold on. It's not like they're going to kick us out of the studio. By the time they hear this, we'll be long gone. Oh, I'm getting drunk. <laughs> this is great. Oh, this is really good. Mm, yum, 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 yum. 
All right. Well, Lightning enjoys his uh, Christmas present because he was just complaining mm. about how thirsty he was and there's no water how in the building. How dry I am. Just, uh, mm. just lower your uh, mic over there so I can do the rest of the show. How dry I am. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, uh, before we start the show, we got to uh, thank uh, Nissan. So especially thank you for that Nissan Titan XD uh, for loaning us that for uh, for the next uh, few weeks so we could move some stuff around. And uh, as we've said before, Nissan has been an incredible partner of the Truck Show podcast and uh, even coming through to, to give us wheels so that we can move stuff out of the studio and, and get set up is, is awesome. So uh, driving the uh, the new uh, the Titan XD. So I didn't realize that they added the clearance lights. So there's the three lights in the grill and then the over fender lights. I don't know what year they did that because the last time I was in XD was 20 and they didn't have those. And so, so it's from the factory now. So it kind of has that cool we, Raptor TRX three light deal. Is it? Is it so wide that it needs them? I, d- or did I don't they know. Do it for I aesthetics? Don't, I don't think so. I, hmm. I'm guessing they did it for aesthetics. So we got to okay. figure out what's uh, what's up there. And I haven't been in the Titan in a while. And I got in and I was driving down the road. I'm like, man, I love these seats. And you know what's nice about the Titan is you just hop in and drive it. Like you don't have to like. Oh, what's where's this button? Where's that button? You just go in. It's got a big old column shifter and big old center console because there's no shifter in the middle there, and big old deep bin and super comfortable seats. And at 75 miles an hour, that thing was like 63 dB or something like that, which is really low. It's just so, so quiet. Lu- luxury car interior. Just, yeah, just it's like and good sight lines and everything, and just rides nice, handles audio. well. Fender audio system. So, hey, if you're uh, interested in checking out the Titan XD and you want a five-year, 100,000-mile warranty, head on down to your local Nissan dealer, or you can type in NissanUSA.com on your favorite browser and build in price right there on their website. Holman, I want to ask you an age-old question. Oiled filter versus dry filter. I'm going to create the scenario. You live in Johnson Valley down a long, dusty road. Do you opt for an oiled filter or a dry filter and why? I'm going for dry filter because... uh, Back in the day, the way you got airflow was having a more open element with the cotton gauze, and you put oil on it, and that was uh, used as an attractant for all the fine dust particles. And uh, today's synthetic uh, materials are so much better at uh, controlling what it can capture, and then also super easy to clean. You don't need any chemicals or soaps or anything. You just hose it out from the backside, let it dry, throw it back in, you're good to go, which is great if you're on the trail and you have a clogged air filter from silt and things like that. You knock it out, you hose it out, throw it back in, you're back on the trail. You don't have to worry about, oh, I got to wash it and and over oil it on accident or any of those (laughs) things. So for me, I'm going dry, dry material. Okay. So- how about you almost never go off-road, maybe occasionally, but you're on the highway, then what do you opt for? I would still go dry. Because, would you really? Yeah, because I'm going to look over to my right and go, there's a dirt road there. And you're going to go off-road, I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to want to have to worry right, about well, it. Well, for, for the majority of us who only spend part-time off-road, the answer is the oiled filter. Why? It's because the media can be thinner. The oil fills in all the gaps in the media and grabs even the finest of debris. Whereas a dry filter to capture the same amount of dust... So how do you know how much oil is? Too much oil? I'm pretty sure that Banks has uh, some videos online on their website that can both educate and inform you as exactly the procedure and what the perfect oiling looks like. Would it surprise you if we had an oiling calculator? Ooh. Exactly how much oil to put per the surface area of your filter. So what if you measure out your oil and you start to oil and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, I ran out. Now what do you do? Uh, you won't because it explains how to put it on ah. so you don't run out and you don't over oil. And where can I find all that information at? Bankspower.com. The Truck Show. We're going to show you what we know. We're going to answer what the truck, because truck rides with 
show. We have the lifted, we have the lowered, and everything in between. We'll talk about trucks that run on diesel and the ones that run on gasoline. The truck show, the truck show, the truck show. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's the truck show with your hosts, Lightning and Holman. Why are you destroying our whoa. last intro in this studio? Uh, we should go out with glory. This studio has treated us well, except it's been really hot or really cold at times. Tiles are falling off on our heads, and our little couch is looking tired. So yeah. I think it's, I think it's time. Uh, hey, so you recently went on a trip and tried to get lost in an underground uh, mining. I mean, system a little bit. So if you've ever listened to the show for any length of time, you know that I'm a fan of mines. Caves are cool, but man-made mines are just so much more impressive to me. I've thought about it a lot, and I think there are a few reasons. First, the magnificence of what men achieve with their freaking bare hands, dude. Just clawing into rock for miles and miles over 40 years, what men can achieve. And there's something about the danger in going down, ascending or descending a thousand feet into the freaking earth. It's just, caves are cool, but to me, there's not threats of a cave collapsing on you, right? Because a cave has been there for potentially millions of years. The water carved it. It took forever and ever. Mines are like super sketch. Yeah. Some dude went through there with a pickaxe and was like following a vein and you don't know how much is too much or yeah. followed the stovepipe up and all of a sudden went, uh-oh. It's just- Like Cerro Gordo. There's a bunch of people that that's a graveyard under there now on whatever that was, that second the un- level. The or- union, union mine, right? Yeah. Yeah. So about 10 years ago, I had the fortune of meeting the founder of the Desert Dogs. It's a mine and cave exploration and uh, rescue team based in Yucca Valley area, kind of by 29 Palms, the Air Force Base out there, not far from Joshua Tree National Park. So this guy, Doug, took me up into the Carlisle Mine above 29 Palms, and we went in at 6.30 in the morning, and we exited at 4 in the afternoon. Yeah, it's awesome. I didn't know this, but there are apparently somewhere around 800 open mines, not the ones that have been boarded up or blown up by the BLM. There's 800 open mines between the 29 Palms area by Yucca Valley and like Las Vegas. No, there's there's mines everywhere. Mines galore out there. From the first time that Doug took me out, I was just smitten. I was just absolutely hooked. So flash forward a few years, I joined the Mojave Desert-based underground exploration group on Facebook. And about nine months ago, a guy named Chris Adams popped up on his first post on this group. This group now is, by the way, had onboarded so many people, they shut it down. I don't know if they're admitting any more people. Hopefully they don't eject me after this. So this guy, Chris, announced that he'd bought a huge parcel of land in California near the Nevada border that contained at least three famous mines, famous in kind of the mine exploration community. So these mines were well-known, and for that reason, he reached out to let everyone know that these mines were now closed to the public. But he wasn't closing them for privacy. He wanted to restore them. He wanted to help the underground and historical enthusiast communities. Um, his Facebook posts were were followed by videos where he talked directly to the camera. I, it was cool. I, I saw him and I'm like, I really want to go and meet this guy. He didn't say much about his history. He was an interesting character. He had a three-legged dog missing the same leg as my three-legged dog. I don't know. There's a lot of like connective tissue, I thought. Kismet. It, yeah, yeah, Kismet. 
I wanted a tour. I'm like, I got to meet this guy. So I went on. So anyway, I used your name. I'm like, hey, I'm buddies with this guy, Sean, who's huge into the Mojave Heritage Museum. And, and he and, went, and my, what? He didn't know anything about it. He but, didn't know anything about MDHCA? it. MDHCA? I, I did hope, not. I hopefully you uh, educated him. I did. And then I hope that you called it by the right name. I, right. Mojave. What is it called again? Mojave Desert Heritage and Cultural Association. I'll never get that right. Nope. No. But I'm going to bring you along to make sure it gets said correctly. Correctly. Got it. All right. So what I didn't know when I started talking to Chris is that Chris was a pseudonym. It was not his real name. He was a federal agent Hmm. and working at the border, working in other countries. And when he finally closed the deal on the land and he was nearing his retirement, which I think he has about 60 days worth of his, like as of this recording, somewhere Uh around 50 to 60 days until he's fully retired and living on this land full time. I believe he shares his time, and I think you'll hear in the audio, at another place in the South, surprisingly. I see. So we traded direct messages for a while and I found out his name was Ross. So I bought helmets, lights, all the safety equipment me and Quinn, my 17 year old, would need underground. And we loaded up the TRX and headed out to the desert. How we get out there is we exit Baker. Remember the world's tallest thermometer? Are you asking me if I remember the world's tallest thermometer when I'm the guy who has a hashtag called still working? That's right. I'm that literally you. every single time I pass by that thing. The, still working. If you know the story about that, it was derelict for a long time, and I would always hashtag still broken. And once it got bought and they rehabbed it and brought it back to life, and it's been working for the past four or five years, every time I go by that sucker, I just take a picture while I'm driving, it's still working. And it's just become a thing. And so now you're asking me if I know that thermometer. It's so funny. Like the whole town's like revitalized. The the, the Mad Greek is back open. And mm-hmm. like Baker is, I don't expect you well, to you know Well, you know why? But... <clears throat> because of all those damn superchargers down at the, at the oh. uh, uh, southern end of it. Big old Tesla and I think Electrify America. Massive. And all, for all the cars that couldn't make it to Vegas, they're like, uh-oh. And now there's like wait lines there. Like, so is Baker the actual halfway point or is it two thirds the way to Vegas from LA? No, it's two thirds. Two thirds? Yeah. Okay. So basically I go out to Baker, two thirds the way to Las Vegas and you hang out, you hook a left. So we go about 50 miles north towards Death Valley. But before we hit Death Valley, we turn east and we go towards this little tiny town called Tacopa, T-E-C-O-P-A, Tacopa, about 150 residents and a few miles outside of this little town, Nestled up on the hillside sat Ross's trailer and his mobile office. Like, you know what, at a construction site, like twin axle mobile office, had one of these perched on a hill. And we go blazing up the trail in the TRX. We get to the top of the hill and he waves us, go this way, go this way. So we we hook a turn and go up on a piling of like the scrap rock that they'd pushed out of the mine. Tailings? No, not... He corrected me later. Apparently, tailings are stuff that's that they- That's what you've washed. That's that's what you've washed. Mm-hmm. This is just like scrap crap that they Over, push off to the Overburden? Uh, maybe. Maybe that's what he he makes me hang a hard right, and we go to this little plateau. Okay, if I had gone left, you would I would have gone down. Yeah, three hundred feet. How into the Columbia mine? How close were you to uh, to that? Fifteen feet. Hmm. It would have eaten me like the Sarlacc ate Boba Fett in Star Wars. (laughs) By the way, funny story. Uh, my wife's never seen Star Wars, has zero interest what? in it, and my little one is all into Star Wars. She just had her fifth birthday, and she got these Star Wars books, and my wife's like, what? 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 Princess Leia 
and Luke Skywalker are brother and sister? Oh, no. And their dad was Anakin Skywalker, who turned into Darth Vader? <laughs> and I'm like, it took a children's book for you to... And it was like one of those like little stories that has like one sentence per page, and there's like 10 pages. Right. It took her that to distill it down to a point where now she wants to watch Star Wars. Mm. Kind of funny. Now, if I'm if I'm not mistaken... Did he also purchase the War Eagle mine as well? No. The War Eagle touches his property. Okay. Because the War Eagle is a very, very famous mine. Right. It sure is. So, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to a man named Ross. So, we're cruising along a dirt road. Uh, this is... Oh, I, road? That's generous. <laughs> it, it, I think it's road. I, it kind of feels like a road. It's graded kind of, sort of. And we're in the Mojave Desert. What area exactly is this, Ross? This is the South Nopa BLM area. Uh, I forget what the, I'm not sure what they call it exactly, but yeah, we're on sort of a BLM land out here in the, the South Nopa wilderness. So. Are you in the TRX right now or in his like 1979 Ford High Boy? You'll hear. So Quinn and I, my 17-year-old, we... Oh, fork in the road. Where are we going to go? We're going to left or right? I'm going to stop. i got to jump out here and put a sensor up. So. Oh, he's got to put a sensor up. Motion sensor to capture uh, bad 4x4s that are coming up here and hopping into his land. Just let me know. People are here. Exactly. It's down by your feet. Oh, let me move my leg. Here Still you go. Here. Wait, sure. the right one. Okay. Oh, motion sensor with an antenna. Interesting. He calls me. All right. Oh, let's go. Let's go watch the action here. Wow, so there's cement blocks all over the property that were used for... This is the old uh, married man's uh, miner's camp. All the uh, the married workers used to live in the camp here. And there were buildings here. Quite a few of them right up until uh, when Tacopa finally shut down, or Anaconda shut down. Uh, the locals came and stripped all the buildings away for the, the wood. Anaconda Mining Company. Yep. So it's really uh, interesting about Tacopa and uh, that area of the Nevada and Southern California deserts is when you are on EMHT, basically segment two, and you are in that part of the world, you're by Kingston Wash. So his mine is just uh, northeast of uh, Kingston Peak. And on the other side is Kingston Wash, which is where the alluvial fan and, and all the the drainage is. That's where the EMHT is. So when you were, did, I'm assuming you drove through Tacoba Pass on the trail? Yes. If you were to have gone right instead of left, where you went right instead of left to go due south, you would have hit the most northern part of the uh, Eastern Mojave Heritage Trail, hmm. uh, segment two. So out of all four segments, this is the most northern point of it, and it was only about two to three miles south of you. Hmm. Which is kind of interesting. Anaconda Mining Company. Yep. The big one out of Butte. One time, the largest mining company in the world and one of the largest trusts in the country. All right. Now, while he's telling this, this story, he is, uh, he's got this interesting... Cold War era. <laughs> it looks it's brand new. <laughs> it looks like it's, so. It looks like a pelican uh, case, a small pelican case, uh, four inches deep, six by six, and it's got an antenna on the top. And then what looks like a uh, is that a light sensor or is that uh, motion? That's a motion detector. Motion detector, and he's burying it in rocks. 
and he's facing the road. So anyone that comes up, well, I'm not going to tell him. I mean, no one knows where we are. <laughs> this, I'm assuming this is on the other side of a no trespassing sign at some point. This uh, uh, motion detector? Yes. No, that was outside his gate. That was probably an eighth mile in front of because his gate. Because there are legal trails in and around there that you can go on. I'm just there curious. There sure are, but he wants early warning. Because he's so far back up there, mm -hmm. he wants to know when someone's coming off the main road. Mm -hmm. That is hidden. Yeah, we'll see. People, people spot him pretty easy. Really? Yeah. Are they looking for him? No, they just they tend to stand out. Oh. Back in the forerunner. Uh, forerunner with blown shocks? <laughs> yes, very blown. <laughs> Perch next to a... Is that a shotgun? What am I sitting next to? Lever action 3030. Got it. Sean, you'll know what he's talking about. That goes right in one ear and out the other ear. I just know I'm sitting next to a rifle. Lever action 3030. That's mm -hmm. a good old cowboy gun. That's what it was. Just grab the thing, and they make a great mechanical noise as it, you know, puts a round in the chamber, and they're fun to shoot. Right on my left hip. Yeah, I'm a long way from anybody out here. Call 911, by the time it gets patched to the Sheriff's Department, they're still 45 minutes away, so. Oh, wow. We handle our own business out here. So what's the next closest town to where we are now, Ross? That'd be Tacopa, 10 miles away. Now, how do you get alerted if there is motion on that sensor? This radio right here. Oh, interesting. Something it wants to work like it's supposed to. All right. Alert zone there we go. one. Alert zone one. Alert zone one. That is cool, I gotta say. I had no idea Cold War era equipment was that neat. It's brand new. <laughs> just giving you a hard time. What'd you say, Quinn? So if an animal passes by, it just tells you though? Yeah, that one's not too discriminating. A kit fox or a coyote will set it off just like a person or a vehicle will. Concrete building you see over here is the last structure left from the mining days. This was the paymaster vault that Anaconda used to use to pay their employees out of. Since it was concrete, you know, cement block, you know, the locals had no use for it and they didn't tear it down, but they did strip off whatever was on the outside. If I could figure out what it looked like, I'd restore it, but so far I can't find a picture of what it looked like. Interesting. How many photographs are there of this entire facility from back in the 50s or 40s? Very few, as far as I can tell. Now, was this road paved, this the one that we're on now? This is well, well graded but it looked like there was patches of asphalt at one time. Yeah, this is Furnace Creek Road, and it was originally paved back in the 40s or the 50s, probably uh, out of Anaconda's pockets or you know, with the government helping them out because they were pulling the strategic materials out of here. But now it's all potted and holed, so what the uh, county has done is they just put a layer of sand down on it instead and made it a gravel road with the uh, asphalt underneath. But the monsoons we had a couple of months ago, took almost all the sand right back off of it and the whole length of it. So what, what took them a couple of years to get done got wiped out in a couple of hard weekends. Let's talk about this property. What brought you out here? What called you to the Mojave Desert in literally the middle of nowhere? Was it the mine? Was it the solitude? Well, I was looking for some uh, nice off-grid retirement property after uh, 30 years of law enforcement and uh, public safety work and Detroit, New Orleans, and Washington, D.C. Uh, this was about as far away from those places as I could get without falling off the west side of the country. And, uh, yeah, the peace, the quiet, the solitude, and uh, I like the history of the mines. I came out to look at the property in response to an ad that the owner had run in some conversations we had on the phone, and it just blew me away with the, 
the history that was still here. And I decided, you know, I want to spend some time preserving this and protecting it and saving it for the next generation. People should be able to see this. But were you a desert guy? Because all too often I find that people are desert people or they're beach people, they're mountain people. It's in their blood. You feel to me just as the moment we met this afternoon, you felt like a guy that belongs in the desert. But it sounds to me like your history is not that at all. Well, again, the side benefit work for the U.S. government is... Uh, Sometimes you get sent on extended field trips to the desert, places like the Mexican border or other places uh, a little more exotic. And um, I really decided I like these desert environments uh, when I was subjected to them or sent there. So it's just <laughs> subjected. Yeah. Yeah, I was voluntold to go and I went. Okay. It doesn't sound like you can say exactly what you did, but were you protecting people? Were you busting others? Like, can you give me a hint as to what the job entailed? Well, the one job, we were basically supplementing uh, Border Patrol and we were intercepting you know, drugs and smugglers coming across the border with the uh, rise in the migrant uh, crossings. The cartels are using them as cover. Uh, they, they get, first of all, they get paid good money to bring the migrants across, too. It actually pays them better than the drugs do. But when they're bringing the migrants across in big groups and uh, their existing border troops have to deal with the migrants, and they, they're not above trying to slide a load of drugs in yeah, another part of the preserve 20 feet, 20 miles away or so. And we'd usually part of a crew to hang back and interdict that stuff. So. Gotcha. We'll get back to the desert thing here. How did you come across an ad? Every once in a while I'll peruse ads looking or, or try to find mine property that is available. And this was not even on my radar. Not that I had the money to buy it anyway. I just, you know, it's one of those fantasy things that you do. You know, like you look at Ferraris and you're like, I can't afford a Ferrari, but there's nothing stopping me from looking through the Rob report. And you know what I mean? Yeah, just um, it was um, a website for off-grid property. It wasn't devoted towards mines. Uh, there's just uh, one bare mention of uh, mining properties on some of the sites. But the owner had 10 parcels that he was selling. He'd planned to develop them initially. And... Um, was selling them basically for the land, you know, historic views, you know, solitude. They just have to have some mines and sounded too good to be true. But when I started doing my homework, like we do, uh, turned out it was not only true, it was underrated, understated. It was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Was there a surcharge because there were mines on the property, but, or was it the opposite where he didn't value them at all? You know, I can't get too much into the specifics or know what was going on in his head. I mean, he's a great guy, still one of my best friends here in town. But I think he was, he was just selling the land. He hadn't really been one for exploring the mines himself and, and uh, hadn't bought it for that reason. Have you ever lived in California? No, no, I can't stand California. Never so, thought I would have done it. As it is, um, I still don't consider that. I live in California. I live on uh, a plot of land surrounded by California. It's an uh, island. I'm trying to get Nevada to annex me, and if they won't do that, I may form a micronation. But, uh, yeah, it's, as far as California is concerned, um, if Governor Newsom doesn't come out and mess with me, I won't invade Sacramento. We'll get along just fine as neighbors. <laughs> I like this man. So uh, this is Friday night. We're recording this. Uh, Quinn and I drove out in the afternoon. Uh, we got here just uh, before the sunset. We set up camp. Uh, we have our mini shift pod, which just comes in handy every single time so thank you so much to shift pod couldn't live without it set up camp and now we're heading back into town and i think we're gonna try to find a slice of pizza and there is a 
Tacopa Brewing Company? Is that, you think it's open? Death Valley Brewing is open tonight. Oh, Death Valley Brewing. Yep, uh, one of the high points of the social scene in uh, Tacopa. Oh, there's a social scene in Tacopa. You'll, you'll see most of it tonight. But, yep. <laughs> but they're, they're good people at this place. So there's basically four places you can go to get food in the area. It's Death Valley Brewery, uh, the Kit Fox Cafe next to them for excellent coffee and pastries, uh, Steak and Beer, which is run by Erica, retired Nevada hotel chef out of Vegas, um, incredible steaks, and then you've got, uh, over by Delights, you've got uh, the barbecue place over there, um, barbecue and beer. What do you think attracts, or how did most of the 150 full-time Tacopa residents end up here? What, what attracted them to this plot of land? And no, you were off by yourself. You're on a hillside, five miles out of town, seven. No one's, seven miles out of town, no one's by you. These people that were now just entering town, they're within an acre of each other. Um, it's weird. It, they they kind of clump together. Is this remnants of mining or is this... It's more of a you know, <clears throat> later generation of the old mining days. Everybody who worked the mines is gone, but some of their descendants are still here. You also have the hot springs out here that people come out for. Um, that's a real big draw. These are some of the best hot springs in the world, uh, second only in minerals to the uh, one that's in Baden, Germany. So very popular springs, brings people from all over the world. And uh, just the, the nature. But yeah, a lot of the folks out here, when I first got here, I was, I was struck by the fact that it was almost like 165 hermits who wanted to be alone, who decided to move in next to each other. That's exactly what I was getting at. It's people who wanted to be alone, yet moved within an acre of each other. It's, 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 it's I think, someone call Alanis Morissette, it's uh, irony. Yeah, like I said, I, I don't judge. It's, you know, y'all do it, float your boat. But everyone seems kind of nice in town here. They're not the no. most friendly individuals okay. in the world. Uh, a lot of some, some of them are really great once you get to know them. But yeah, I, I was struck by the, the brusqueness of my initial contacts when I first came to town and introduced myself. And by the way, Holman, you gotta love the honesty from Ross. Like this is not like oh, you can tell that he's a law enforcement guy. He's he's right down the line. Yeah, I'm used to social places like New Orleans where if you're going to walk to the grocery store six blocks away, you got to give yourself an hour and a half because you're going to be talking to people on the way and on the way back. Yeah, that don't work here. Oh, so they just want to be left alone. And, yeah. And they don't like the newcomer. They're warming to me, most of them. But I'm a warm, fuzzy guy. Are any upset that you bought this historic piece of land? None that I've heard from out here. My response... Uh, within the community as a whole has been pretty good. I reached out when I bought it online to the underground exploring community, the cavers, the mine uh, enthusiasts and the like, and introduced myself just to let them know that, hey, I'm a real person. Here's a face that goes with the name. Isn't it weird, Holman, that that's a thing? Mine enthusiasts? Like the word, the phrase he just used, mine enthusiasts. What's wrong with that? It's just like before I met Doug, the guy that I talked about earlier. Car enthusiast, truck enthusiast, aviation enthusiast, desert exploration enthusiast. What? I just, it's weird. If if you you're live, a sour beer enthusiast, I know. Just there's an enthusiast for everything, and there's a mine and cave exploration enthusiast. Group. What's wrong with that? It's I no, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm saying that if you live in one block off Times Square in Manhattan, you may have no idea that there is a, a mine enthusiast community. Right? Sure, but I don't live there. 
For good reason. Come on out. Uh... That's how I found you. Okay. And it was a very honest piece. He said, look, I bought a piece of property out here that I know is, many of you have connections to it. You've been coming in here exploring for many, uh, many years of your life. It's been here. It's a historic piece of property. I'm the new caretaker, and I'm not just going to exploit it, and I'm not going to let it go to sh right? And I think that was an honest piece of video that you shot and posted. And that's what attracted me. I'm like, all right, that's when I need to, to reach out. And I, and I appreciate that. So that's been the feedback I've gotten almost overwhelmingly. I have heard through the grapevine, there's some people who are still mad about it, especially when the gates went up, but you know, darn the bad luck. If you hadn't done it, there'd be more graffiti, more fires, more burn, more all bad, right? You can put a stop to that or at least slow it down. Oh, exactly. I intend to stop that and preserve it for the next generation. And to be fair, the place was for sale for years. You know, anybody else could have bought this too. And most people who were bitching knew. Yeah, you know, I was the only one who just found it and, you know. Put your money where your mouth was. And it took me a year to do it because, you know, me and the last owner did do a lot of, a lot of horse trading. Gotcha. All right, I'll shut up. We'll go inside and have some grub. Day number two in Ross's Forerunner. Now, this time, we're going adventuring. Uh, Ross was in town earlier today doing a uh, speaking engagement because he's a highfalutin. And uh, Quinn and I went in a, uh, I don't know, it was a portal. I don't know what mine it was. We Columbia. went back Columbia. We went in the, the Columbia mine, and we saw some amazing workings. Well, I don't know. Oh, we haven't seen anything yet is what Ross says. But now we're back in the Forerunner, and we are headed off across his land, and we're going up to... Are we headed to Noonday? Is that where we're going? No, we're going to go in the uh, War Eagles East Portal. Okay. We'll come out in Noonday in a few hours. All right, so we're headed to the... Did you go, oh, man, a few hours? Just like this podcast where you didn't come with any food or drink. Were you walking around <laughs> there going, um, this is going to be a really fun few hours. It's going to suck because I'm going to be uh, grumpy, hungry, and thirsty. So I loaded up, dude. I had, between Quinn and I, 12 waters you know, bottled waters. I had granola bars. I had all these like energy foods that I normally don't eat just in case. Cause it's, it, it, that apparently is the thing that you do. Like just in case you get stuck, you need like high calorie uh, foods. You, yeah. You need to uh, put like uh, uh, ground coffee, peanut butter and honey in a Ziploc bag and shove it in your pocket and live off that. I had like uh, six pounds in double A batteries for our headlamps Dude, I had mount. I, I bought mountain climbing helmets with the lights with the. Uh, yeah, that's what I used when I used to do spelunking and all that. Same thing. But had a Petzl helmet and Petzl lights. And, you did spelunking. Yeah, I used you to did? do it all the time. What? Every one of those mines off three uh, ninety five. I've been in all of that stuff over by Red Mountain, Randsburg, all that stuff. I've been to the bottom, uh, Table Mountain in Nevada. All really? three where we popped out uh, a mile on the other side of the mountain from where the cars were parked. We had to walk out on the outside of the mountain to figure out where we were. Oh, yeah. Dude, I had harnesses, all this. I have a whole box full of that stuff from when I used to do You're that all the time. You're kidding me. I had, we used to I had ourselves bought, down I bought all chest. new brand new stuff. I didn't know he had any of it. You yeah. dick. Uh-huh. We didn't tell you me. You knew I was going. No, I didn't know this is what you were doing. You absolutely did. No. Not only did you know, you lying sack of dump. Because, dude, mm. I bought the Garmin Mini, mm. right? What's it called? The uh, in, InReach Mini. Yeah, but that doesn't work underground. Uh, listen to me. Uh -huh. I bought the InReach Mini. And I sent you yes, the you coordinates, did. and I dropped the pin everywhere. I was going I'm every not, five minutes. I'm not saying it you was did. my wife and you, but you were already gone. You, but you knew in advance. No, no. All I knew is you said I'm going to go to this place uh, south uh, of uh, Death Valley. BS. Hmm. You knew I was going. In, in all lives. fairness, I just found out that I wasn't going to be working anymore, <laughs> so I was a little busy <laughs> that weekend. All right, 
So we're headed to the War Eagle side of the mountain. We picked up a, a passenger also. Scott? Hey, how you doing? Welcome to the uh, to the show. You, much like me, we found Ross over here when he uh, went under a pseudonym and uh, right. bought the property and we said, must meet this guy sooner than later. Yes, I saw Ross on another Facebook group, if I remember correctly, and uh, started following him. It looked like he's doing some really interesting stuff out here. And I live over in Pahrump, so it was uh, a pretty easy thing to come over and uh, meet him. And, and yet it took him almost a year. <laughs> it did take a while, didn't it, I guess? I don't remember how long I've been following you, Ross. But yeah, came over and saw his uh, talk at the Shoshone Museum today, which was great. Recorded it. You'll see it on his YouTube channel later when he gets it up there. And now we're going to go and have some more fun. The, the talk that you gave, Ross, that we missed, unfortunately, we were chilling. Uh, we were taking care of your uh, your dogs you uh, back here at the ranch, as we call it. Were you telling people about the future of the land or how what your plans are for it, or what did we miss? What can we expect from the uh, the video? Yeah, it was pretty much all of the above. A little uh, intros to who I was, uh, history of the mines out here, and what I'm doing with it now, what, I, what I've done so far, and what I plan to do with it. All right. We're going to check it again as soon as we get to the uh, parking spot by the mine's opening. So, Holman, where we were camping at Ross's homestead, basically, uh -huh. we drove all the way around to the other side of the mountain range. Okay. I th I'm going to guess somewhere between three and five miles. And we parked at the entrance of this portal to the War Eagle Mine. The moon is out. It's gorgeous. And this was the moment of like, you're strapped into the roller coaster and you're like, all right, there's no turning around now. Take your bathroom break here because there's no, there's no bathroom, bathroom break the down there. It's pack it in, pack it out. All right. Got the helmet here. Where did the helmet of mine go? This right here. Thank you. There you go. Put some water down there. Back, back. All right, Quinn. We just pulled over, and we're looking at a portal, and that's about uh, eight feet tall. You could drive maybe a quad into it. Are you spooked? It's nighttime. The, the mood is out. We're not going into a mine during the day. We're going into a mine at night. can't see the entrance. You can't see the entrance? It's right there. It's pitch black. It's that black hole right there. Yeah. So, Ross, before we enter this portal here, uh, tell us about this side of the mountain. What do you know about it? War Eagle Mine was being run by Anaconda Copper back in the day, uh, late, late 40s, early 50s. Uh, they were having some problems with some caving ground under the uh, western portal, under their western shaft. So to prolong the life of the mine and reach an ore load they were chasing, they started a new tunnel here in 1950. When you say caving issue, you mean the, the rock was too hard or something? Or? No, there's some, some bad earth down there that uh, is not stable. And I will show you when we get back in there, and you can see where Anaconda spent a lot of their treasure trying to shore it up and finally gave up on it. Well, they came in this way. The, the engineer's name is Chick Joy. He started drilling here, drove this drift we're going to go into back half a mile and hit the old workings within half a foot vertically and horizontally of where he intended to come in on the wow. day he planned to hit it. Wow. That was good work. He, he just passed away recently up in St. George, Utah, but that, that man was something else. And that's a shame I never get to meet him. And they were looking for what? Lead and silver. There's a Galena mix uh, composed of lead and silver that they mine primarily. Also zinc, 
iron, traces of copper, and just a little bit of gold. They all tend to run together. If you remember, Galena is uh, what they were pulling out of Cerro Gordo as well. Oh, I didn't it know that. that. silver mine. Yep. Okay. And they were processing it here on site or shipping it away? Uh, back then, Anaconda had a small mill they were running right down here, uh, the base of Western Talc Road, which, thank God, I do not own the Amargosa Land Conservancy owns that now because it's a big mess, a super fun site of uh, cyanide and uh, arsenic and other chemicals used to process the ores, you know, mm. settling me yeah. off. So gotcha. I don't have to worry about that. But you know, you'll see signs over there warning people you don't even walk in the dirt because of it. Now, this portal, as it's called here, w- explain to our listeners the difference between a portal, a drift, an incline. What do they all mean? Oh, they're all different words for different stuff. So a, a portal is an entrance into the mine, be it you know either a vertical shaft of the collar, straight in aid it, or an incline shaft. The portal is, is the entrance itself. Uh, Tunnel-wise, we have drifts, which are tunnels that are going into the ore-bearing area to be used for removal of rock, or cross-cuts, which is just meant to be like a hallway to get to the area. Technically, this one is a cross-cut, but you will see there's a drift in there where they they hit a vein, and they went left and right, tried to make that productive, gave up on it. Those generally used interchangeably. Uh, An incline is a shaft that goes down on an incline, uh, either from the surface or internally. I've got both here. Okay. Yeah. So Quinn and I, this afternoon, while you were in town, went into one of, uh, I guess that was the Columbia, mm-hmm. and we saw an incline with that looked like it went down more than 100 feet. My light, when I have a really nice stream light, and it didn't hit the bottom. And the ladder looked like it was in amazing condition. I thought someone had refurbished it. You said, no, it's original. It looked like it was made weeks ago. It went down at, God, I don't know, it looked like 60 degrees or something. Like, it was really fairly steep, but bowed out. Like, it curved. It had a radius to it. It was really interesting. Yeah, I forget the angle on that one in particular, uh, but generally they run between 39 and 50 degrees. That wood is probably turn-of-the-century wood, turn-of-the-last century. But uh, because it's so dry here, all of the wood is in remarkable shape. Most of it's better than anything you're going to get at Lowe's or Home Depot today. In fact, if I have to do repairs underground, I prefer to salvage old wood as opposed to using brand new store-bought wood because the brand new store-bought wood's smaller and doesn't hold up. Gotcha. All this stuff is first-generation uh, saw-cut wood off the Sierra Nevadas, the original old-growth trees. That's why I have a problem with timber theft out here where people come in and try to take you know, the wood which is why I have gates on these mines now. Which, by the way, we need to reiterate that if you're thinking about coming up here, don't, because they're all gated, they're all locked, and you're on private property, you'd be trespassing. So we've been working with Chris for weeks now in preparation for this, and uh, he was so kind to let us in. So let's head off to the portal. Let us do. Let's be light. You can see uh, my sign's been shot up a couple of times. Took some bird shot and took at least one, you know, rifle slug there. So the last monsoons brought a piece of the wall down here, so got to clear that out. But this gate here, at the entrance to the mine, is uh, that's pretty, pretty beefy. And people coming out here will set off alarms. I will know they're here. Good. And I will come call. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, he's packing heat, so don't mess with him. All right, Ross, this goes... This goes a half a mile until it hits the workings, and it goes another mile and a half past that. 
so we'll get to see where this fantastic joint is here before long. Oh yeah. That's cool. The thing I want to mention about these timber sets, you'll see at various spots. The only time the miners ever put in a timber was where it was needed. They didn't just put them up for fun because timbers cost money and took time off of production. So whenever you see either a single timber or a whole set like this, you have to ask yourself, okay, why did they put this here? What's, what's above this that they had a problem with? And Holman, these timbers are the horizontal ones holding up the ceiling. Yep. And in many cases, they're bowing. Now, these are, these are the same timbers you'd see on a railroad track yeah. right? or bigger. And they're bowing, yeah. and there's rocks up above, and you got to think, yeah, be careful how, how many point. tons of rocks are above my head right now, mm -hmm. waiting to crush me like the bug I am. Mm. Yeah, they, Basically they didn't, loose rock. They didn't put there, and you can see it through there. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. But it was generally yeah. to keep loose rock in. Yeah, they, they didn't put those up for fun. So every time you see a timber, just wonder about that. Why is that timber here? What did somebody see? And we've got numbers on the walls here. I see 12. They're, they're These old numbers are from uh, you know, survey uh, crews that were in here, probably in the last days. They were in here looking for more in mineral or just taking samples so they'd mark where they're taking samples. Now I'm seeing overhead pieces of rail track that have been hammered into the ceiling. It looks like there was... Uh, uh, electrical or water or air or something at some point uh, above our heads yeah, that has been a, removed. There was an air pipe tied up there, a corrugated uh, metal air pipe, probably about a foot in diameter. Uh, would have been up here and they would have run air in here to ventilate the mine. Even though they had such good natural ventilation with all the cross shafts and everything, they still had to oh, yeah. run. Uh, okay. Let me ask you a question. As you were in there, did you always feel air moving? Yes. <clears throat> so when I used to go spelunking, anytime we went to a still area of the mine, get out. We got out because the there's if you can't feel wind underground, you can't feel that ventilation. It means the air's not recirculating down there, and you can get into some poison pockets and things like that that you're not even aware of because it doesn't, it won't, you won't know. You'll just so there was one spot, a couple spots that went down about let's call it a hundred yards or so, walked down to where it just dead ended. So the air, of course, couldn't move. It couldn't recirculate through there. It immediately felt stale. Now, luckily, there wasn't any, um, there, there was no matter, there's no plant matter, anything to decay, yeah. which would cause something, you know, it would it raise the CO2 levels. But I went and I bought a, I spent a hundred and some odd bucks on a four gas meter. I, I didn't bring it in here because he assured me there's nothing down there that would there's no methane, there's no CO, there's no CO2, et cetera. So I didn't bring it, but for I do have one if you need one. It's brand new in the box and it, it works well and it barks at you and vibrates and does all that stuff. But I'd rather uh, just have the uh, canary die. That's what my uh, father said. Usually I bring yeah. a canary with me. By the, by the time the, the the canary's dead, you're dead, I think. But No, it's much smaller because uh, you know that whole canary in the coal mine was a real thing. Like, no, I know it was. Canary started dropping dead, so just bring a canary with you. I mean, how much do you think a canary costs? No, 100 bucks. Cheaper than what that machine he didn't no, use was. I, I, but yeah, but this lasts and I don't have to feed it. No, that's true. Maybe a couple double A's, about it. Do you think that the... Uh, if the canary died, you would go, oh, crap, was that because the air's poisoned or because I forgot to feed it? I don't want to question that. Yeah, and they didn't have the uh, natural ventilation when they first started working in here because they hadn't made the connection yet. So but, but this they, needed, they, 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 they needed to bring air in for the work crews. Just to dig this. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Now, this seems abnormally tall. Most of the mines that I've been in have been just about six foot max. This is about, what, eight or nine? About that on average, minimum eight yachts. Uh, the machines that were used in here needed that kind of clearance. Particularly, this would have been mucked out with a machine called the IMCO 12B Mucker. 
That was the primary uh, rock shovel at the time. And the IMCO 12B mucker would have needed at least uh, seven foot of clearance to operate. It would come in on the track, scoop up the rock they blasted down, then throw it via a catapult mechanism over its own back and into the ore cars behind it. They're really cool to watch them work. Uh, they were killers, but they're still in use in Central and South America today, which is why I can't buy one for the mines because they all wind up going down there. What was the, the year range of operation in this section? This would have been started in 1950-51 and used as the primary haulage tunnel until they shut down in 1957. Okay. And the oldest mine in this series of hills right here? It'd be the Noonday Mine on the other side of the mountain that started in 1875. Wow. Any idea how deep they could go per day? Inches, feet? Depends on what you're doing. If you were hand drilling, yeah, you'd be lucky to get one drill hole done in a, in a shift. But uh, when they were in here to use the, the pneumatic drills, and the power equipment and the good explosives, you know, they, they could drive forward 8, 10, 12 feet a day for a shift. Some of these boards over our heads, there are rocks waiting to come. I mean, there could be 30 tons of rock just over our heads right now waiting no, to. <laughs> I mean, this whole platform has been lifted up by the weight that's fallen on that end. So, Tell me about this rail track we just stumbled on. Now, this is your 24-gauge rail, uh, 24 inches wide, which was kind of the norm in the 40s and the 50s. Most of the mines uh, around here have 18-gauge rail, 18-inch stuff, smaller than this. And the current standard today is like a 36-inch rail. So this kind of dates this to, you know, 40s and 50s. And this would have been the main haulage for cars coming out of the works to the tipple dump that used to be over here on the pile we came in through. Holman, on that last piece of audio, did you hear the wind blowing across the microphone? Yep. Isn't that weird? Nope. I mean, we're, I forget what level we were on here. He'll say it a bit. It's like the 600 level, like 600 feet down or something mm -hmm. like that. And it's just, it's, it's wild. I think we just described the, the, the convection and how it works, but it's incredible how much air actually passes through. You wouldn't, you wouldn't expect it. You know, there has to have an opening on, well, it's, I guess like a Swiss cheese. It's open everywhere, but the cold air gets denser as it cools, drops, pushes the hot air out, and creates this current. Well, and the best thing about it is the underground is pretty much the same temperature year-round. Yeah, you can go in when it's 120 degrees or, outside, or and when it's, it's like 30. It's like 67 inside all the time. Okay, so we're coming up on these various stopes. Yes. What is a stope? A stope is an area where they would have worked to remove the, uh, the ore. Usually they tunnel under the area where the ore is, and they go up into the area and let gravity bring the rock all down to the cars. And that air, mined out air like we see above us here is called a stope, S-T-O-P-E. Now this one here would have been accessed by the tracks 100 feet below us. Oh my God, is that big. Look, I'm looking down at a 45 degree angle and my light is not reaching the bottom and the roof of this stope is all held up by timbers. This is as big as a football field under here. It goes a lot further than you can see. It oh goes down my. at least 400, 500 feet, and then it goes up several hundred feet. <laughs> oh, and it keeps going this way. This is wild. These tracks are amazing. Holman, there's nothing I can say in this piece to properly describe the magnificence of what these men dug underground. It's so freaking Weird. Imagine taking an entire football stadium, 
turning it at 45 degree at a 45 degree angle that's what I'm looking at. Da- I'm looking yeah. down this. I'm at the. I'm at the nose. More, more amazing is they were dude doing it with minimal amount of machinery. And think of all the excavating. That dirt had to go somewhere. Let, let, let me describe this again. I, I think I've, I've got it. You're in the nosebleed seats at a stadium, and all of a sudden the the whole thing turns at a 45 degree angle, and you're now holding on for dear life so you don't fall down across the stadium. Right. That's what I'm looking across, across a stadium at 45 degrees down. Pretty epic. Did you take pictures? They don't do, it's worthless. You can just, it's darkness. Look at that down there. They've set up these, um, not timbers, what do you call them? They're like walls to stop the falling rock? To guide uh, ore, those, those are ore chutes. Oh, okay. So they want that rock to go into a, bins down at the bottom, and those would be to direct the rock. So they'd go into bins down at the bottom, and then they'd, Gravity would bring them down. They'd stay in the bin until they opened a gate down there and put the ore into the ore car, and they'd take the ore car to the shaft and pull it out. Now, this goes to the left. Yeah, okay. we're taking that. Oh, we're going left. What if we go straight? Where does that go? Oh, you'll see that in a few minutes. Okay. I want to get ahead of myself. Sorry. Now, here's one of our uh, grease cans. Hmm. Unfortunately, the scrappers have been working on the uh, switch here. This was our, our, one of our rail junctions. That I'd love to have had intact. Oh yeah, that'd be a treasure. Yeah. Look at that chute over there. Wow. Step this way. Step okay, this way. we're stepping all the way to the left. Watch your step. There. Over the tracks, over the timbers. Okay. Coming up on an ore chute. So that's a stove. Oh yep. wow. That goes clear up to the 595 level. This is an ore chute coming down from the 595, 100 feet above us. And there's a whole nother you know, section of cross cuts and drifts up there with its own uh, working stopes, its own track, its own air and water pipe, and um, a few other things I won't talk about on the, uh, the podcast. <laughs> All right, so Ross, yeah. we've been hiking for about, uh, I don't know, 45 minutes, an hour? We're, Something yeah, we're, like that. we're about a mile back in from where we came in. Okay, and, and how deep are we under the surface, would you guess? Uh, this is a 690 level, so we're about six, 700 feet from the top of the mountain. Wow. Still following um, rails. Quinn, have you been 700 feet underground before? Um, you know, sometimes I find myself burrowing under the uh, earth just to keep myself warm. So the answer is no. No. <laughs> yeah, this area, the fr- you get far enough back in here like this, and very few people actually get back in here. I mean, everybody goes to the incline shaft and a few other places, but as far as I can know, very few people are back here based on the small amount of litter and graffiti and the total absence of YouTubers, you know, showing this area. I haven't explored most of this area back here yet. Even the maps don't show much. Also, this area back here gets very dusty. No, there's a uh, this track. Yeah, this is the, the switch. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, the switch. Now a lot of other switches have been removed. This is still here. Well, the switch, the, the track stays, but the, all the switch mechanisms. All the switches. Gone. I got it. But yeah, it gets progressively more dusty as we get back in here. I think a lot of. Uh, some of the rainwater comes down through noonday and trickles down and brings the uh, sediment down with it and stacks up, so it gets very silty. Um, past this point, I usually recommend uh, a respirator or at least uh, 
And we trudge on. Okay, so now I'm out of breath. Old fat guy's out of breath here. Let's uh, specify which old fat guy. Who, me, 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 me. <laughs> All right, so Scott. Yeah. Tell us what we just went up. How many steps in that ladder? How many rungs do you think we just climbed? The ladder? The uh, ladder was first before yeah, the rock that face. Was, that was about four sections of ladder, about uh, 12 feet each. Okay. So, you know, we're looking at around 50 feet of ladder. If, why did it feel like 150 feet of ladder? Yeah, because we're all <laughs> fat guys. <laughs> okay, so then we got to the top of the ladder. Then we had to pull ourselves up the last 12 feet with rope. Yep. We go around a bend, and then we have to go up some uh, a rock face right here. And when we look straight down, whoo, yeah, that's a doozy. 30 feet maybe, something like that. Yeah. I'll tell you, you know, it's about, about 100 feet from the bottom of War Eagle, maybe a little more. We're now in the lowest section of the Noonday Mine, which the War Eagle Cut ran under. So this is the, uh, the 600 level of the Noonday Mine. It's five levels below the, uh, the main level, which is the 200, so I'd make this the 700 to Noonday. This is the oldest section of that mine. This mine shut down in 1928, never to resume production. So we'll see some miners' graffiti coming through here. We'll see some old equipment like the 18-gauge rail track here, these nice timbers, uh, a lot of backfill because they weren't even going to try to haul that rock out of here. And a few areas I want you to just be careful of because uh, one timber with no support up here, we call it the hanging timber of death, until I can cut it off properly. Yeah, it just hangs there. Don't touch it. Okay. Now, Quinn, you just sat in something, and I took a photo of you. What were you sitting inside? Ore cart. An ore cart. And how cool is that? That was really cool. How rare are ore carts these days? Very. If the mining companies didn't take them out, uh, the scrappers got them or the collectors took them out. Uh, this mine has only two complete ore cars that I know of because they're so hard to reach. They're in areas where people can't get to or can't find them. You'll see several others in here that have the wheels taken because you know, any punk thief can steal the wheels off one, and they usually do. But I don't think we'll see one around the corner like that. But now these these are two intact ore carts that are still here, you know, worth thousands of dollars each uh, on the collector's market today. I know because I tried to replace them several times. They're and, and they're, you, they're the value. And your hope is to restore its uh, agility to put it back on the tracks. Well, two wheels were on the track. The front two were off the track. You were going to try to put it, mount it back, and then so it can go back and forth and roll like it did. Yeah, you can see that one's uh, buried in some silt. So we're going to dig the silt away, uh, reset the cart on the tracks. That cart weighs probably about 600 pounds, so it's not going to be the easiest move, but we'll do it. And then we're going to dig the track out so the cart can run back and forth probably 70, 80 feet uh, on the track, just like the one in the upper sections. Oh, so cool. Thank you for bringing us here. All right. Oh, my God. What is the can behind your head? <gasps> Prince Albert Crimp Cut Long Burning Pipe Cigarette Tobacco. Look at this. Boss man, oh, drinking it. So miner left that here back around uh, World War One, or earlier. Mm. That's that's well over 100 years old, and you'll see several of those down in this section. The 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 vandals and the thieves didn't get down here very much, if at all. So there's a huge spool of uh, steel braided cable. What's the significance there? Well, that was an old hoisting cable used back in this section of the mine in the day. Uh, significantly about that one, it was, it was made by the John Roebling Company, formerly of New York City. They may still be there, I don't know. But the Roebling Company was the one who initially came up with the ability to make 
a continuous uh, wire rope of pretty much unlimited length, which they used in the production of the uh, the Brooklyn Bridge and the Golden Gate Bridge. They couldn't have made those span bridges without uh, John Roebling's wire rope. And John Roebling was a first-generation immigrant uh, from Germany. So. So we're standing right here where there there are uh, bolts in the ground. There's no longer an engine here, but there would have been, I'm guessing, it wouldn't have been an engine, uh, a petrol-based engine. This would have been electric, a motor, right? Or steam? This would have been powered probably by a steam boiler that sat outside and um, ran compressed air or direct steam drive into this area here. And it would have uh, turned the drums that uh, ran up into the workings there and back on that shaft we came up in, you know, 500 feet down. And it would have brought all that rock up, dumped it into these ore bins, and it would have gone out in cars that way. Absolutely fascinating. It's inspiring. The fact that men made all of this by hand over the course of 50 years or so, 50-ish, something like that. Nothing, yeah. Yeah. 1875 to 1928. Now, we're in the oldest part of the mine, Correct. Uh, this would have been done more later towards the 19-teens, 1920s in this section. It started over there and, and above us. There's a couple levels above us. Uh, those were uh, the, the real done-by-hand, claustrophobic. Uh, you think what we came through was, was crazy. So we East crawled. We yeah. crawled. There was some stuff probably, what, Scott, 28 inches Roughly, floor to ceiling? Yeah, not too tall. Yeah. But way better than what it sounds like he's talking about in those other levels. It gets, it gets insane above us. Hmm. Um, I, I will crawl through that area and explore every once in a while, but uh, you really got to, you know, have your head on straight up there. and Bring your knee pads. Yeah, you're, you're crawling and you're sliding because it's all on an angle. It's not just short, it's on an angle. And you said overall there's uh, 20 miles of uh, mines up in this part. Yeah, more or less between the four mines on the property they run, we figure around 20 miles worth of tunnels. That's <laughs> so much work. <sighs> I wonder if they worked at night so they had some daytime to themselves. Wouldn't surprise me if they were 24 hours running this yeah. place. From what I heard, you, you basically you worked your shift as long as it was. You crawled out of here. You went back to your little uh, tent, cabin, hovel that you lived in, maybe a Cousin Jack uh, structure. You slept until it's time to get up and do it again. There was no recreation. No time for recreation. Oh, I can feel the breeze coming in here. Oh, it's cool. Wow. So the air is so much denser when it's cool, it drops into the mine and pushes the hot air out. And as the air cools, it sinks lower and forces its way out to the, uh, the lower workings where we came in. <clears throat> the air you're feeling now will eventually go up back where our cars are parked three miles away. Now we open up to the moonlight and the Big Dipper. Breathtaking, absolutely breathtaking. Orion's belt. And if you can see this in daylight, um, we're on top of a pile of solid waste rock that's probably 60, 70 feet high and fills most of the valley. And that's all mine uh, waste that was taken out of the mine and dumped here over the years. There's a trestle that goes across over here that would have gone on a, uh, a track to the grant shafts over there. And the ore was taken out of the grant shafts, brought across this trestle, and driven right back through this same mine we just came out of and taken to their tipple and uh, down to the uh, trains that came back here back in the 20s. 1920s. What a feat of engineering. It is, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, I wish this trestle hadn't collapsed, uh, but you know, all things uh, do eventually. And that collapsed before I got here because it was, it was stunning at one time. 
This whole hill area is all honeycombed. If all the mines collapsed, this hill would be about uh, you know 100 feet shorter. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, well, we're going to head down right now. Uh, oh, this we're going is... back to the mine. We ain't walking down this stuff in the dark. You don't get killed. Oh, really? It's dangerous. I'm walking down here. Okay. Go back to the mine. Through. I'm following you then. All right. All right we're going back to the mine, I guess. That's what scorpion. we're doing. All right. Quinn, what? watch out for scorpions, he says. So we're standing on, uh, it looks like, I don't know, a hundred foot drop beneath us. And this looks like a main shaft. About 40 feet. Four, oh, only 40 feet? Yeah. <sighs> It's, it's, it's audio. We can say 200. <laughs> uh, don't step on that board over there. That, there's one board over there that uh, is very loose. It's, I just wanted to go to here. Yeah, it's I, not unstable. It's oh, just, I see it. I got it. Thank you. That's oh, one over here. It's... I don't know what it is, Holman. You've been in mines, as we just talked about. It, it's pitch black. And not many people encounter pitch, pitch black, right? Where you turn off your lights. And there is nothing. There, there's nothing where if you hold your hand in front of your friend's face, the the only way they'd know it's there is maybe they feel some radiant heat. Mm -hmm. Other than that, a centimeter from someone's nose, they wouldn't know it's there. So you're hiking along and you've got your flashlights on. you got fairly a couple hundred lumens and you blast it down. You walk across a plank. The shaft goes straight down. You're walking over a, a, a an elevator shaft, basically, right? On the Empire State Building. And you shine it down, and your light just doesn't hit anything. I'm sure it would feel different if there was plenty of ambient light and you could see the bottom. You wouldn't be as scary, mm. maybe. But the fact that you can never see the freaking bottom, and I didn't, I should have taken a laser because my laser pointer. There goes you go. Like, I mean, you've blinded me on the freeway with that thing. I, I think you'd use it for good, like in a mine shaft. I brought all of my lasers, and I just didn't take them in the mine. Now I, don't know I why. wonder if I would have brought my sidearm with my red dot, how far that would have gone. I don't my know how. It, yeah, no, it'll probably go quarter mile, right? My laser is supposed to go five miles. Unless a, it hits my eyes and stops. <laughs> I wouldn't point them while at driving. your eyes. Well, you I did. Well, I did. In my rearview mirror <laughs> went right to my eye while I was driving. It was diffused through your It was not tint. diffused. No. That car did not have tint, yeah, by the way. I won't do that again. So it's just, it's freaking scary, but you just walk across the plank and it bows yep. on your weight. And you're like, whoa. And you go, if I fall down there. That's it. I'm that's death. Well, you hope it's death. What you don't want to be is oh, maimed right. and you're then right. die a yeah. slow, you painful to, you death don't want to be broken. with crushed bones at the bottom yeah. and just going, well, this is <gasps> how it ends. I got to tell you this because this is not in the story. So where Quinn and I were camping on this amazing, I posted pictures on my Instagram. So if you saw them, you, you know, just this beautiful outlook, right? On this, on this waste rock pile, 60 feet above the desert floor. Beautiful view. Behind us, up the hill about, 50 feet behind our camp and about 20 feet up on the hillside was this like berm where it clearly had someone had dug in. There was a there was a a, a, a mine shaft of some sort. Right. And I go, so what's this one? He goes, that goes to the Columbia. But there's a, a part. There's, he has a, a caution tape around it yeah. with some pieces of rebar. So don't go up there. And I go and he goes, yeah, don't go up there because there's two holes. One is six feet deep and the other one is 80 feet deep. And he goes, someone before I owned the piece of property about a year and a half ago, they were camping. Chose wrong. Couple of jeepers. They they went up there. The guy went to take a leak and he thought he was stepping into the into the six foot one and went in the 80. 
and they had Why to... Why would you step in any hole to take a leak? I don't, I don't I know. I go straight from my tent. Well, he thinks they were drinking, as many oh. people do in the desert, right? Happens. They got their, their brown water. So they had to extract him and, and life flight him out. And I guess he was all busted up. He lived, uh, yeah, but he was imagine. all 80 Oof. feet. And there was one of those dog legs where it goes down and then yeah. steps and bounced. Yeah. And oh, but at night you just flashlight, nothing. If you step on it, it flexes a little now, bit. That looks a like attack. a huge room over there. That is the shaft that goes up to the, uh, the ore bin at the top of the mine. Uh, that's where all the ore was taken from the Noonday Mine and the Grant Mine. It was dumped here and then sent up uh, 200 feet to a ore bin up there. And then it would go down the ore bin, uh, down a dual incline railway to the uh, Tacopa Railroad down there, which was a 12-mile spur that took it to the Tidewater and Tonopah Railroad. So that's how the ore got out of these mines. And it goes up 200 feet, and it goes down another two, three levels. I haven't explored. I've been the level below us. I have not been past that yet. And so. I don't think we said that um, maybe it was off when I wasn't rolling. Each level is approximately 100 feet above the other, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And that's like the minimum distance for strength. Yeah. That's the way they did it back in the day, and then they just they'd work up and stope up between them as they needed to. And you can see where this this is burned. Somebody started a fire in here again, which fortunately didn't really take too much. Uh, I took this level out, but uh, it did not affect the shaft above or below. It definitely could have been a lot worse than it is. So, see, here's some old dots that were put up on there. As, as the miners are keeping track of the number of ore carts they dumped, they'd make those dots with the carbide lamps. Is it surreal to you that you own this? Yeah, sometimes it still doesn't uh, really register that this is mine, yes. So, You're not just cool. taking a tour through someone else's mine. <laughs> no, I this mean, mine is mine. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. And we are out of the mine and into the moonlight one more time. I have done uh, a lot of interesting things in my life, and this is at the very, very top. We crawled, we climbed, uh, up, down, sideways, inclines. We saw bats. Absolutely jaw-dropping. Okay, I'm going to stop talking. We're going to climb down to camp. So we went in Holman at about just after 4 in the afternoon, and we came out at 10.30 at night. It's awesome. Dude. And then went in super and the, hungry? Went in at the... No, actually, I wasn't. I wasn't paying attention to food at all. I think we ate a couple of our little mint chocolate chip granola bar things. Went in at the six, whatever level, 600 level, and came out basically 100 level. So we had ascended 600 yeah. feet. Awesome. Over the course of just under four miles in, in, in distance. Just wish I would have gotten an invite. You wouldn't have gone. Oh, wait. Is that because you invited me and I didn't go? Yes. <laughs> so here's the thing. If this sounds interesting to you, going on a camping trip and, and tour through a, a mine, and you are not claustrophobic and you are not scared of heights, Holman and I are going to work on putting together uh, an event, a, a small event out there. And, and it, as it comes together, we'll keep you informed. But I think it should – I want to share this with, with you guys, as many as we can, as many as Ross will allow us to have up there at one time. So um, that's my goal. That's how special this, this was to me, and I, I can't wait to join him out on that property again. So – if you enjoyed that audio, thank you for bearing with me. If it sucked, sorry, but that's uh, I'm I'm super into it. That didn't suck. That was good. Okay, was it super interesting? I can attest to the fact that almost all the ore carts in the West are gone. Those were salvaged a long time ago. 
I'm familiar with that area. So some of the things he was talking about was pretty cool. The fact that it's near the EMHT and there's some amazing wheeling up in, up in there. Uh, it'd be fun to wheel back down to, uh, to Baker through Kingston wash and all that kind of stuff. Cause you're only probably about, uh, 20 minutes, maybe a little bit more from uh, mailbox number two to sign in on the EMHT. So, so cool. on, on Saturday when Quinn and I were at doing our little Columbia portal kind of tour, we could see the campsite and look down the hill and a bunch of buggies and jeepers came up his trail, stopped at his chain where he had a no stress passing, and they hung out there for like 40 minutes and we thought, uh-oh, is this going to be a showdown? Like they want to come up and they want to go in the yeah. noonday mine. And they eventually, oh, no, he, he came down and had to explain this is no longer open to the public because for like last 50 years, people have just gone through the mines, right? And he's like, that's done. This is my property. I'm now the, the steward of this land. And I'm going to clean it all up. Dude, he was going through erasing. So in the mine, there's fluorescent orange arrows that were put in so people could find their way out. No, he's scrubbing them off. They're like, that wasn't there. The miners didn't need those. The miners knew how to get out. So those are gone. And he, 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 this is kind of interesting. He found a, uh, a couple of names where it's like Jeff Hart, Diane. And he, he, he thought it was recent and he got kind of upset. He goes into town. He does a little bit of research. He finds out that these people were there in like the 60s. They're a famous couple that was uh, popular in Tacopa at the time. And there's a history and they were in the mud. So he left that stuff because that was like a had a historic twist to it. But he's getting rid of all the new graffiti that happened in the you know the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, whatever. So anyway, uh, that's my little mind tour. Enough of it. Now it's time to read your email. You email? Yeah. I email. Do it. So, who's up first? You are? Oh, I am. You always go first. We get sloppy seconds? That's fine. Uh, The new Truck Show Podcast. uh, Subject line from... Looks like Seth here. Hello, light hole and fruit pants. I love how fruit pants is weird. (laughs) I like light bright. I don't like light hole. But wait, but why? Light hole could be some weird amalgamation of both of us. Yeah. Who's fruit pants? I I always call you fruit pants. But I don't know. Did, maybe have I said fruit pants on the air? I always I say it. Whatever I call you, I'm like, hey, what's up, fruit pants? I, but I don't think I say it out loud, I do I? Ever in front of pub- public? Interesting. Uh, say, thank you for the flashback of the fruit cake episode. That was still hilarious the second time. So I think it's clear that the podcast will no longer be affiliated with Motor Trend. But we all want to know. But what we all want to know is why? What happened? We want the details of the breakup. Who initiated it? Is Holman still employed by Motor Trend Group? Love the show, guys. I'll be buying some merch once the website is up. Thank you, Seth. Appreciate it. Oh, and Seth is out of Chicago, by the way. Love to have guys rocking our gear in Chicago. P.S. The email address is for the newsletter. So we're going to sign him up. Save that. Uh, yeah. So we, we'll, okay. we'll do something once we get the newsletters going because we uh, want to get uh, you guys on it so we can blast out when we're doing cool things. If you miss out on information from a show, if there's something, a sale going on, if there's... There's a bunch of different things that, that we want to be able to do. So uh, once we get our mailing list set up, which we will do early next year, we'll get you guys on it so that we can start. Uh, no, no, that's early this year. They're hearing it. Oh, that's right. This is January 2nd when yes, they're hearing yeah. it, right? So, uh, yeah. So anyway, that that will uh, that will come. Uh, as far as the details, like, I can't tell you the details. I can just tell you that uh, uh, Motor Trend made the decision to- Do you have a uh, non-disclosure agreement? Uh, I can just tell you that Motor Trend has decided to uh, stop publishing four-wheeler. 
And so I'm uh, transitioning out to uh, to some other things, which uh, I will announce later. Um, and the one thing I can announce now is the podcast. So that is going to be one of the things that I'm working on. And uh, I've got some other irons in the fire, if you will. So this is pretty cool, guys. I, I don't want to understate this. We own the podcast. Well, Holman, technically. Owns the <laughs> podcast. Um, but the, in, which is absolutely fine by me. 100% A-OK. He is going to be a, a, a good company owner and a good CEO of uh, Truck Famous LLC. So I. By the I, way, it took I, us a while to find a. Uh, we went through a bunch of different versions of that. And then when we thought, well, we don't want to call it a podcast because we want to do other things. And, and then we thought, oh, we have that Truck Famous jingle. And then we're like, oh, that should be what it is because we're making trucks famous, famous or something like that. Yeah. By the way, uh, there's a PPS on Seth's email. The last time I called Holman Fruit Pants, y'all both seemed confused as to why. Well, I'll tell you. In one of the episodes in the latter half of the year, I forgot which one exactly lightning out of nowhere called Holman Fruit Pants. Well, there you go. There's your answer. You yep. it on the air. Like a throwaway joke. I'm not sure how many people noticed it, but it cracked me up. So from now on, Holman will always be Fruit Pants. Ima- <laughs> imagine imagine that. Lightning with a throw, yeah, look, look, At the bottom, he writes. Look, look what he writes at the bottom. Hashtag accidentally offensive as usual, Lightning. Which will be a t-shirt. We, are, we have to figure out what that looks like. I tried. I just wrote it white text on a black shirt. You're hashtag stupid. accidentally I could offensive. I can do that. No, there needs to be gra- it, No, it needs to be a line drawing of you, like a really bad line drawing of your face, yelling out the window of your truck, like, Bleh! with like sounds, sound lines coming out of your mouth. See, I don't think so, because if I walked into a club and it just said, accidentally offensive it applies to everything and the truck show podcast logo is on the sleeve and on the back of the nape of the neck like that's where they they feel good about wearing truck show podcast gear but the shirt means so much more to a lot of people you walk into like a roadhouse restaurant right out of nowhere and this is accidentally offensive people think that's funny we'll see they don't have to know the context we'll see but but i think you did it with a hashtag i i did it with a hashtag absolutely i would not do it with hashtag. oh really yeah oh i'm not married to the hashtag all right, uh, we got this one from uh, from Runzi, and he says, Highlighting in Holman, I have been listening to you guys for over half a year now. I love your chemistry on the show. I was listening to episode 259, and Lightning was having trouble finding a good socket set. My suggestion to you is to get a full 3.8 set that goes from 6 to 24 millimeter, and then 25 to 34 millimeter half-inch sockets with a 3.8 to half adapter. Ah. No one makes all the sockets in one drive. I think I mentioned that, Mr. Lightning. Because the half-inch stuff is larger to compensate for the additional torque. Three-eighths is smaller, more comfortable for daily use. And quarter-inch is for accessing tight space. I've just graduated and working in the automotive industry. I bought my stuff from Tektron. I think it should be good to go for you, too. I'll attach some screenshots from my account down below to give you some ideas. Hopefully, I made this as short and simple as I intended to. Talk to you guys soon and keep the jingles going. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. And he says, uh, cheers, run ZB. And then he's got a bunch of screenshots of some stuff that you should look at. I will look at those for sure. Is that, um, I can't, uh, did he have the blue point, the, the Snap-on blue point? Because Snap-on blue point was suggested to me by uh, Trevor Larkin, who DM'd me at LBC Lightning. This is the best bang for your buck. Tell the Snap-on guy at Banks to order it for you. Uh, lifetime warranty through the Snap-on guy as well. And it's the Snap-on blue point set 
quarter-inch and uh, three-eighths drive socket, 155-piece socket set. So I am going to look at the Snap-on Bluepoint. little spendy for me. A lot but, spendy. Uh, but it might have everything I need finally. Hmm. So I'm going to look at that. Thank you guys for the suggestions on socket sets. Um, this one's from uh, Jeffrey Brown. Lightning, here's a visual on lights melting ice. So it's a Honda Accord, and it's lights melting ice. Uh, Sean, carry on with having understanding of the world outside California. Jeff. Uh, yeah, Jeff, suck it. <laughs> All right, Holman, you're up. All right, uh, this is a multi-multi-part uh, uh, email. This is from Jason Gaynor. Jay and Sean, thanks for putting on the show. Seriously, this show is the only podcast I look forward to weekly. I have plenty of other podcasts, but yours on Monday is the perfect start to the week. I'm easily influenced for high-quality parts, but I also obsessively research, and your show has created the monster I am. Spreadsheet of truck mods to follow. But a brief list of show guests that are on the truck. Decked. Cargo Slide, now decked. Camberg, Fox, Banks, Toyo, AT3s, and so many I'm forgetting other accessories to follow in the spreadsheet. I have a deck system in the Crew Cab L5P. I have the uh, Cold Air Intake, Pedal Monster, Derringer, and iDash. Not installed yet. I also added the Pedal Monster to my 3-liter Jeep, and it makes a huge difference. I plan to call Greg Chopper to get them to advertise on the show again. That would be great. Yes, and, please. And when did he even turn into Chopper anyway? Uh, we found out later on that uh, we've been calling him Greg, and he's like, you know, everybody calls me Chopper. And we felt that um, we were going to go with it, but we knew him as Greg, so it's it's hard. It actually was an awkward moment, i got to be honest with you, because yeah. he's like, uh, guys, the Greg thing's getting weird. We're like, what? What, what are you saying? Yeah. And he goes- Everyone calls me Chopper. No one calls me Greg. We're like, it's your name is Greg. And he goes, everyone calls me Chopper. And it was kind of like, please call me Chopper too. And yet we didn't. We're like, mm, sorry, it's too late for that. It's, you're Greg, buddy. It's Greg. It's sorry. always Greg. Anyway, Chopper. Uh, anyway, he says, uh, either way, I love your show. Merry Christmas and a happy new year. And monitor those parameters, boys. Monitor? Jason. Did Gainer. he say monitor or mounted? Monitor those parameters, Monitor boys. the parameters. All right. All right, so uh, Jason follows up with an email about uh, 15 minutes later or something like that. Also, just got the truck back from the dreaded injector wiring harness replacement on number four, P0300, I think. Took the pedal monster out. My truck feels like a gutless slug. <laughs> I have reinstalled it, and I'm about to test it again. Thank you both for putting on the show. Merry Christmas. Have a happy new year. Holman, currently drinking our local store's barrel pick of Whistle Pig 10-year. Pretty good, but pricey. Uh, that is uh, absolutely true. It is it is good, and it is pricey. When he says pricey, what is pricey? Mm. Meaning, what's an estimate for- I don't- I, Is it a liter? What, what is it coming? I don't know. It comes in a brown bottle, and then you buy it and drink it with friends. I just had Boss Hog- More than 100 bucks? Oh, yeah. I just drank uh, Boss Hog 9, which is their new finished in, uh, Greek fig barrels, and uh, it's pretty good. I didn't like 8. 8 was horrible. Uh, seven before that was great Magellan. Um, but the nine was good, and that bottle is going for about eight fifty right now. Excuse and, me. And me and some people finished that sucker off. It died a hero. Eight hundred and fifty dollars. Uh, it's between eight fifty and about thousand right now. And then some of the stuff like Magellan, which is eight, uh, is probably four or five thousand dollars. When, bottle when, now. when you say four to five thousand dollars, mm-hmm. when you say that you finished off the bottle, meaning you mooched off a wealthy man's bottle. Yes, uh, my uh, my wealthy friend who loves sharing his boss hog with uh, our group uh, said, hey, I just got it in. Let's go drink it because it's a big deal when it's released every year because there's an allocation. There's only so many bottles. Yeah, it's and like so, wine. And so he shared with us wow. um, the whole set of boss hog one through 
nine or one through eight maybe now um, is about $45,000. <laughs> so if you would have bought those bottles oh at retail, a couple hundred bucks or something yeah. like that, or, or some of them are a little bit more expensive. And kept them. And kept them. Uh, that's a pretty good investment. Wh- whiskey is going crazy. All right. One last one. Jason writes again. Uh, he says, sorry, Jason again, which is hilarious. Mm-hmm. I haven't set the spreadsheet. Probably won't. I was on the Buffalo Trace last night, but more importantly, the Pedal Monster is an absolute necessity. I drove the Jeep to the dealership with a wife and then got into my L5P. It was such a slug, as I said before. Then I put the Pedal Monster back in. Oh, my God, the truck is back. My biggest hood up is the crappy North Carolina weather and having to paint the damn gauge pod. Did they mention they hate painting anything? And Also, I wish there was a less vision-intrusive solution. The replacement panel on the left four-wheel drive switch would be great. And I have a saw scene, whichever Lightning prefers, on the interweb, but seem to uh, come from sketchy sources. Anyway, this was supposed to be short, but uh, on the whistle pick 10. Later, guys. Jason. Okay, so, Jason, (laughs) what you don't know, maybe you do, I don't think you do, that there is a new mounting solution coming soon for 2017 and 19 Duramax L5Ps. 20-plus Duramax L5Ps. Oh, actually... It, you don't even have to. I don't care if you're gas or diesel. It's the same A pillar. It is a new Banks mount that integrates into your A pillar, so you don't have to lose your grab handle, which everybody wants these days because they've lifted their trucks and they need to pull themselves in. And it looks freaking factory. I've spent a lot of time working on it. I also have oh, them coming for- Oh, that should for, be your new Banks product line. Freaking factory. Freaking factory. I like yeah. that. We also have them coming for the Ford guys uh, in two weeks, and I got them for the Ram guys as well. And Ram 1500s, 2500s, 3500s. It looks, it's for the iDash, and it looks bitchin'. It's tight to the A-pillar. It does not obstruct your view. It's rock solid into a bolt in the, oh, it's, you're going to love them. Love them, love them, love them. Except for the fact that you have to paint it unless you have a black interior. This one is from uh, Jonathan Albrecht, and it's, uh, well, he says, Holman, duck rhymes with truck, obviously. See? There you go, because we were wondering if anybody ever uh, figured that out. All right, uh, got one here from uh, Adrian Holmes. This one's actually kind of awesome. He says, hey, guys, I've had this idea for a truck show t-shirt for a while now, and this seems like the perfect time to share it with you. Going back to the debate over what a truck actually is, I believe there is no definition of a truck that can be written, only one that can be understood by truck people. Therefore, the only way to know if someone is truly a truck person is with CAPTCHA. Anyone who can pick up all the images with an actual truck, you'll know right away that they're an actual truck person. If they pick one that's not a truck, well, I guess they're not allowed to proceed. I have inserted an example below so you can see what I mean. I actually really like this. So uh, how do we describe CAPTCHA for those people that aren't no, online it's, it's, all the time? It's, no, it's the thing where you send something on a website wants to know if you're a person. So it gives you like a four by four grid of photos and tells you to pick out an item within those grids, like pick I out a bicycle. One, I got one today. It was cr- pick out the crosswalk. Yeah, I got You had to click the crosswalk. Signals. Yeah, okay. He says, uh, for this golden nugget of an idea, all I do is ask that you send me one of these t-shirts signed by Mr. Gail Banks. If you guys want to sign it too, I suppose that'd be okay. Good luck with the new chapter of the podcast. Can't wait to hear what comes next. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Adrian Holmes, he says, uh, please return a copy of this image with the corrected answer so I know it's safe to continue listening to the show. <laughs> but I mean, that's, so, solid. that's a solid idea. So this is a great idea. I will say that I'm going to give away the, the bottom left-hand corner. is not a truck. <laughs> no, it's not a truck. It's, uh, oh man, I'm going to have to. There's a few not a trucks full, in there. Yeah, there's a few not trucks. I like the uh, Subaru uh, Baja. That's, yeah, uh, that was a nice yeah. touch. There's also a Honda vehicle. Mm, I won't spoil that. I wonder which right, one. Yeah, that one. Uh, this one is from uh, Nick Alternator waterproofing subject line 
Hey guys, I was listening to the Megman interview. Thank you. It got me really thinking about waterproofing as best you can. An alternator. What tips, products do you have to protect your alternator for water crossings or forging while water playing? I run a 2020 F-150 with the Coyote. Insert Tim Allen grunt. And the air intake is at the hood latch, so I shouldn't have to worry about pulling in water. But the alternator is super low and supposedly will strand us before the intake. Should I just steer clear as best I can and take the bypass? P.S. Happy holidays and happy birthday, Lightning. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, buddy. OG Amy. Yeah, buddy. And mount to those parameters. Mounter, monitor, key, engine, parameters. P.S. I know shirts are a thing of the past, but you're willing. <laughs> shirts are a thing of the past. But if you're willing to send out a rare TSP sticker to add to my cooler, it would be much appreciated. And he gives us his uh, address in Norton, um, Massachusetts. So, uh, Nick. We are, you know what? I'll send you a sticker. Sure, I can do that. Look at that. Lightning yeah. coming through. All right, put that off to the side so I don't no, throw no, it in the trash. I don't have any uh, mail sticker budget right now. What's that? I said I have no- I'm going to do it through banks and not tell anyone. Oh, there you go. Perfect. All right. Um, oh, do you want to do those t-shirts we never sent out that were in the that I found in my office today when I nope. cleared it out? Negative. Yeah. Uh, Matt White says, hello, Lighting Holman. I took these pictures earlier today at work, listening to all the talk about LED lights the past few episodes. It made me think of these lights. And as soon as one of these trucks came in, I had to send you some photos so you could see them too. That one was just for you, Lightning. Seems like the natural heat of the older headlights was just a happy accident. It probably never was the design intent, but it worked out. And it worked out so well that most folks never even gave it a second thought. So much so that when LED headlights hit the market, most manufacturers didn't include heating elements. Maybe some really smart guys thought of it, but I think it was the exception and not the rule. Now, many manufacturers offer heating elements built right into the LED headlight assembly. Now think about this. When the traffic light begins switching from incandescent to LED, guess what they forgot? Yeah, same problem as car and truck headlights. They no longer melted snow. Again, maybe some really smart people anticipated that outcome, but it seems like most never even thought it through. So here in Colorado, when we get a really bad snowstorm, like a good early fall storm or late spring storm, when the snow is wet and sticky like glue, the kind of snow that completely coats road signs so you can't even see the speed limit, the kind of snow that turns chain link fences solid, well, an LED traffic light just doesn't stand a chance. Red, yellow, green, blue, purple, who knows? The LEDs just don't melt the snow, and that makes for a fun drive home. When the cities discovered the flaw in the design, they had to add lights with heating elements. So maybe we'll see some more heating elements from the OEMs. Seems like you guys have been dropping some subtle and not-so-subtle hints for the past few episodes. Right. And this most recent episode really brought it all together. Holman, when Lightning was talking to Sean from Rogue Off-Road, seems like he had a little slip. When referring to your career, he said something like, Holman worked in the magazine industry. Worked? Just in past tense? And then quickly corrected to say, still does work in the magazine industry for 20 to 25 years. Isn't that how TV detectives catch killers? <laughs> listen, You're a killer? If, uh, if, if Lightning did anything, it wouldn't take much for a, a detective TV or not to uh, figure it out. I'm pretty obvious. When the killer slips and refers to the victim in the past tense, when they shouldn't know that the victim is past tense? Hmm. Later in the episode, another listener brought up the news about Four Wheeler Magazine, and that explains a lot. At in the final 30 seconds of the show. Good luck on whatever the future holds. Great to hear that you guys plan to keep the podcast going. Easily my favorite podcast. And that's from Matt. So Matt sent us a picture with a GM headlight that had a heating element in it. So uh, I guess the guys at GM are smarter than the average bear. Isn't it weird that, that everyone went to LED headlights and lights in general in your house and street lights, everything went LED because they consumed less power. Including the new right? podcast and studio. They, and they, and they, were co- they ran cooler. And then like, oh, crap. These were melting snow the whole time, and we didn't know about it. So now we have to throw a heating element, which consumes more power, way more power than the original incandescent light did. Yeah, but it's different with lighting because you can't look at it that way. LED gives a more efficient beam pattern and things like that. Like they're just a better light. 
the idea wasn't necessarily just efficiency. It was. But also the light itself is better than anything. Well, remember when LEDs first came out, they weren't good beam paths. Remember? A lot of guys were still sticking with HIDs. Your your com- your KCs and stuff, and they were slower originally. KC. I know, but they were slower originally to adopt the LEDs because they wouldn't throw as far. It not took anymore. A lot, not anymore. They're absolutely better. But there was a period of like five, seven years when LEDs were out there, but the really, really guys are like, I need HIDs, eight, I need 100-mile-an-hour lights, right? And, and they didn't have 100-mile-an-hour LEDs. You're the ballast. Yeah, yeah, true, true that. All right, well, uh, on this very long, long note of uh, <laughs> this first episode of the year, uh, we just want to say thank you to everybody. We appreciate you guys, everybody who made the show uh, a success for the uh, past almost five years, and we're excited that uh, we get to uh, take ownership of it. And provide you with uh, a free podcast. So if you wouldn't mind, please uh, support our advertisers, uh, support us, and we'll have some ways for you guys to do that in the new year. The Truck Show, The Truck Show, The Truck Show, oh, oh. I felt like this episode was a little light on truck content. I mean, other than the emails and such, did I, did I take it awry with, uh, take it left of center? Like, did I... My, yes. my mind exploration, like um, yes, but I think people like oddly. Do they like non- the weird? Yeah, it's fine. It's I mean, like, I did drive a TRX out there. Although right, there right, was enough a- of that. Enough of that. Listen, am hey, I apologizing for it too much? Just stop. All right, can you stop for a second? Sure. I need to let you know something very important. Where we are in El Segundo has a dearth of eating options. In our new studio. Wiener Schnitzel is half a mile away. Del Taco is half a mile away. McDonald's, 1,000 feet. Jack in the Box, 1,200 feet. Chick-fil-A nearby. In-N-Out. Oh, the new In-N-Out by my house. Mile and a half. Oh, Farmer Boys, mile. And did I hear correctly, there's a Mexihana going in as well? Oh, dude, Mexihana. Yeah. You need to explain to them what Mexihana is. And what's funny is there's only a couple of them. And one is about, oh, a thousand feet from, from my house. From Jay's house. <laughs> and they're putting one in, and it's literally a about a mile from your house. Yes, yeah, like half a mile from my house. Okay. So imagine a Benihana with a bunch of Mexicans Mexican running, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's what it is. It's so good. It's the mixture of, it's the mixture of uh, J- Japanese teppan kind of. Yeah, tapon w- tables. With Mexican food. So you can get like, what, burritos and fried rice and- It's It, it it's, airs a little on the side of the Japanese yeah. with the rice and, and shrimp and things like that. But yeah, they make it with a Mexican style. I can't yeah, describe I can't wait. It, I can't wait. Go, listen, go- uh, But there's a line all the time. It's dude, like that favorite spot. There's just like, you got to order ahead and the whole thing. It's it's awesome. Here's what I want you guys to do, because I followed Mexihana mm-hmm. on Instagram. And they're not that big, right? Like they're just a, they're, they're a pretty small page. And so here, this is what, what I want you guys to do. At Mexihana's Hibachi Grill. I know it's long. Yeah. All right. Follow these guys and look at the food that they have, and this is what Lightning and I are going to be eating. So this is Mexihana's Hibachi Grill? Yes, Okay. on Instagram. Follow, follow them. And then DM them and say, at Sean P. Holman or at LBC Lightning talked about you guys on the Truck Show podcast. Because I followed them. Are you them. trying to get them to give us free food? Yes, because I followed them and said, I can't wait for you to come to HB, and they followed me back. Nice. We need to break in the studio. Dude, you know who I don't- Surf and turf. I want, I want lobster tails. Oh, that'd be amazing. And, and like carne asada. To I don't surf. think he, I don't know if he's an investor, but I know who eats there all the time. Yeah. Fluffy. Yeah. The comedian. Gabriel. Yeah, Iglesias. Gabriel Iglesias. Yeah. Yep. 
which is where I've the, driven by and seen him sitting in there eating, and I'm oh, like, we, I'm like, that guy's a freaking rock star. No, no, he's a comedian. Well, I'm yeah. <laughs> he's, I'm saying like he's rock star status. Anyway, comedian, my, my right? point being is the dude sells out stadiums. Listen, he's in there eating food. We used to have in the Santa Ana studio all these great restaurants, but mostly just Wiener Schnitzel. Yeah, we're upping our game. There's so much good stuff within like five minutes. DoorDash, all this stuff is no no longer do we have to worry about what door do they need to come in the middle of the night at the Motor Trend studio. So if your neighbors hate you now, yeah. wait till they hear me. Oh yeah, well their uh, their master bedroom window is uh, about uh, twenty five feet from the studio. <laughs> so if we're not, but really... I have a quiet, dainty little. Yeah, right. <laughs> if we're not really good about sound deadening, uh, they may grow to hate you as much as they hate me. Mm. Someone call Sound Skins. Yeah, right. <laughs> Get them on the horn. <laughs> yep. All right, so we got to thank Nissan for sticking with us. I think that's important to note, guys. Is that Nissan? They signed up with this big motor trend company owned by Discovery. And here they are sticking with Lightning and Holman doing the Truck Show podcast and not in only that, 2023. They gave us a truck to borrow to help us move our stuff. So that's, that's a stud cool. of a company that's right pretty there. Cool. Yeah. So you got to thank them. Head over to NissanUSA.com. Check out all their trucks. The Frontier, the Titan, the Titan XD, of course, the full-size trucks. Get the industry's best five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. And yeah, we'll we'll do a little uh, we'll do a little pod around the XD out here. We've uh, we're gonna start moving stuff tonight, and uh, I don't have a truck right now. So if it weren't for them, uh, we would be uh, making lots of uh, trips in a open top Jeep. Yeah, with well, the seats folded down. In the my in my little tiny short bed truck. That's right. Yeah. So mad props to uh, Nissan for supplying us with the Platinum Reserve. Uh, just outside our studio. Super, super thankful. And also, thank you to Mr. Gail Banks. So it's kind of a weird conflict of interest. I can't write the check to the podcast. So Gail Banks and uh, Mr. Sean P. Holman have been friends longer than I have been at Banks. And he has also stuck by us through this transition and is going to continue to advertise. So I know that I'm the kind of the spokesperson on this show for Banks, but really it is all about Gail. You know, he is the founder he is the guy that started it back in and 1958. Still supporting us. 100% all in, which is really rad. All right. Uh, on that note, it is time to pack this place up. Uh, this is our last show here, and we got to go. Uh, well, we got furniture to take down and acoustic tiles and Texas flags to move, and we got stuff to do. The Truck Show Podcast is a production of Truck Famous LLC. This podcast was created by Sean Holman and Jay Tillis with production elements by DJ Omar Khan. If you like what you've heard, please open your Apple Podcast or Spotify app and give us a five-star rating. And if you're a fan, there's no better way to show your support than by patronizing our sponsors. Some vehicles may have been harmed during the making of this podcast. I know that you are hoping that the new year is going to be your best year ever. But it is also quite possible that the new year will be just as as the previous year. And that is also okay. Don't put pressure on yourself. Don't be hard on yourself. Do whatever makes you happy. Don't have expectations of other people. What is in your control will be in your control. What you cannot control, don't worry about. Be open to the journey of life. And most importantly, don't forget to f***ing chill.